the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the city. I'm your host, Andy Longhurst. I'll be with you for the next hour as we explore some uh, urban issues. And today we're doing a show primarily focused on education in the city. I have a number of wonderful guests on the show uh, this evening, and I hope you will stay tuned. Um, In the second half of the show, uh, we'll also be uh, bringing you some coverage uh, from the robocalling uh, protest um, from uh, this past Saturday in Vancouver at Victory Square. That's all ahead on the city. Um, We're going to start things off in the first half of the show, uh, talking with our three guests and talking about education uh, here locally and more broadly in the province and and, uh, the conditions um, as we finish up the second day of the BCTF's uh, labor action here in the province of British Columbia. So stay tuned. And I have three guests on the show today. I have Alan Wong, the COPE School Board Trustee um, at, at, in Vancouver, Vancouver School Board Trustee. I also have Patrick Parks, who is uh, with the Burnaby Teachers Association, um, and he is also the editor of the BCTF's uh, magazine and ger- journal, um, The Global Educator. I also have uh, grade 12 student Ezra Manson on the show from Van Tech Secondary School here in Vancouver as well. And uh, before we get into... Uh, today's discussion about uh, education. Um, I'm going to play you a clip from uh, this past Friday's uh, student-organized rally um, in support of uh, standing in support of their their teachers. Um, this was organized by students, and uh, we're going to hear some of those sounds from that uh, protest um, that was organized and uh, was on Friday.
And those were some of the sounds from last Friday's student-organized uh, rally and protest um, at the Vancouver Art Gallery that eventually marched down to Christy Clark's um, office at uh, Canada Place. And I want to welcome um, my three guests, Alan Wong, Patrick Parks, and um, Ezra Manson. Um, thank you all for being here. Is everyone uh, connected and can hear me okay? Yes, I can. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Alan, I want to start with you. Um, thank, thank you for being on the show. Um, I, I want to ask you uh, to maybe for our listeners, uh, bring people up to speed um, about where we are uh, with uh, the labor action. Um, and we're in day two and bring us up to speed uh, where we're at and uh, why this came about. Well, the, well, it's been over a year. There's been negotiations, um, technically negotiations between the BCTF, BC Teachers Federation, and the employer's negotiating arm, which is BCTC, and there hasn't been any progress for for about a year. Um, and it, keep in mind, there in all the years of um, the negotiation between BCTF and BCPC, uh, there hasn't been, except for one, uh, one negotiated agreement. Uh, so, right off the bat, uh, the 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 agreement part of it trying to come up with a a, a contract a collective agreement um, was was a challenge from the from the very beginning so we're into uh, about a year later of negotiating and the uh, there was a limited job action since September job action for, by the uh, teachers uh, such as uh, only doing education providing education services for students this culminated in in the um, the, the the province uh, minister of education uh, finally jumping in um, uh, to 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 move it along um, and to introduce uh, legislation at this point Legisl- again once again legislating an agreement so the process is set in place uh, bill twenty two is is before the legislature. So with the uh, with that in place, uh, this caused an escalation uh, in co- confrontation between the BCTF and and the provincial government, which then uh, precipitated a, a a job action, a strike. Now this has gone illegally through the Labor Relations Board, and the Labor Relations Board uh, it, uh, set the grounds, uh, the rules for for the for the job action, which is the first week, three days, and this is what, uh, this is the start of the job action. Thereafter, it will be allowed one day uh, per week. But by the time, and this is for Vancouver, uh, starting next week, it's our two-week spring break. So by the time, I'm assuming, uh, it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll pass legislation, and so the strike will be deemed illegal or over at any further job actions. Okay. That's how it is. And Patrick, anything you want to add to that from your perspective from the Burnaby Teachers Association? Yeah, well, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the Burnaby Teachers Association, but I'll speak on behalf of myself, and I'll say I, I don't think that the province is showing a lot of will to move things along. Um, <clears throat> I don't think... Uh, I think that BCPC and our provincial government are are not that different in terms of uh, their role in, in bargaining. And it doesn't seem to me that the uh, the government really does want to move things along, and I'm and I'm confused by their strategy. 
my understanding is that this new Bill 22 is going to, um, uh, well, a part of it is to to assign a mediator to mediate uh, a settlement. However, it's not going to be a binding mediation. So to me, that means, and, you know, correct, I, if I've misunderstood, um, you know, I, I apologize, but my understanding is that it wouldn't be binding, and that means that uh, whatever the mediator uh, decides, the government could reject in the end anyway, and then we'd be back at square one again, and things wouldn't be moving ahead. Okay. So, so I, I think it's quite, it's quite. Um, so, so I'm wondering if a part of the strategy of the government is just to keep things stalling, and and perhaps they're they're uh, assuming that they're going to be able to save some money by doing so. I don't know. Okay. If I can, sorry, Andy. If I can yeah. jump in, it's just, I was just trying to make a uh, objective presentation <laughs> of what's happened. The the Vancouver School Board um, has has passed a resolution uh, yesterday, and we've our board is is urging the provincial government um, to to appoint an independent mediator right, right. to resolve the current bargaining impasse between BCPC and the BCTF. Um, I, you know, the what the provincial government, George Abbott, is, is doing is their appointment of a, an, a mediator, but the mediator's hands are tied and, uh, and the, the, the focus is net zero, and I think there lies the problem. Um, you know, to, to impose net zero, to tell a mediator you can, you can mediate, but these are all the rules where you have to mediate. So there's the problem. So the, it's important for, and this is what the school board wants, the Vancouver School Board wants the province to do, is to, 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 to not go that direction, to, to put an independent mediator to come up with, um, you know, to, to speak to both sides and come up with some, um, you know, agreement, possible agreement by, by the summertime. Okay, and I want to bring Ezra into this. Um, from your perspective as a student, um, what what do you think of the labor action at this point? And uh, I'm just curious in your in your uh, hearing what you have to say. Well, the teachers do seem upset, and I mean, naturally, the students will will have to take their side just because that's sort of the uh, the side of the issue that we've been uh, subject to. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, I, I do support them to an extent, and I, I I think I speak for a lot of students in that sense, but. Uh, the demonstrations that we held at Van Tech uh, were clearly aimed at uh, voicing the, the needs of the students and, and not so much uh, directly supporting the teachers. Do you see them as, as, as those being inherently separate, Ezra? I, I, I see a lot of similarities, but, for example, wage increases and, and technicalities like that are, are not sort of, uh, they're not, accessible by the students and and the the three main things that we were uh concerned about are class sizes class composition uh and special needs funding and shifting gears a bit can you talk about uh some of the conditions in uh it's been a a number of years i graduated from point gray secondary um a west side school but from your perspective there is certainly because this is an urban affairs show i want to bring um 
Vancouver and certainly Burnaby into this, um, there are inequalities uh, within even one one school district. Um, what are the conditions like in Van Tech? And if you can speak more generally um, about what some of your peers have said. Well, for an example, last year in my Math 11 course, we all had to partner up and share textbooks. Uh, this year we're using 25-year-old uh, economics books. And I think that one's pretty crucial because uh, economics has changed in the last 25 years drastically. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I, probably the biggest one that everyone complains about is the class sizes. I mean, 30 students for one teacher is I, just ridiculous. My friends who go to private school have 20, 25 kids in their classes. And I, I, there's been lots of sort of uh, research to show that that's, that's ideal. Okay. Um, and, and especially if teachers want to get more creative with how they teach and and, uh, and all that, they need they need more individual time with the students. Patrick, I want to go to you now. Um, from your experience and your perspective, um, what are conditions like in Burnaby schools? Well, I mean, I think uh, the teachers and and uh, for the most part, the administrators are trying their best to to make the most of of the resources that we have. Um, but uh, and I agree with Ezra that class size is is a huge uh, issue, and um, you know we have a lot of um, deficiencies in our contract that make it hard for teachers, as Ezra pointed out, to do their most creative work. And one of those things is uh, class size. Another issue that I I think is is a problem is uh, course load. Uh, you look at Ontario teachers; they get twice as much prep time at, at the secondary level as BC teachers do. So they get a prep block every day so they can uh, sit down and get their head around things and, and do some planning. And uh, we don't have, we only get it every second day in BC. Another thing is, uh, you know, speaking personally, I have had up to nine courses to teach at the same time, teach simultaneously mm. as a teacher because I teach uh, an elective subject, uh, Japanese, which means that there are also some uh, split classes, and on top of that I teach English, so I have that course, then I'll teach a few blocks of planning. At one point, I actually was teaching nine individual courses at the same time. And then on top of that, could teachers potentially be coaching teams as well? <laughs> they could, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I sponsored clubs, and, you know, we love doing that that kind of stuff, and that's uh, because through through clubs we get we get that uh, connection with the school community that we like, and I think that's that's been a, a real uh, problem for teachers in our our job action. Because obviously we became teachers because we're really interested in in building those communication uh, community uh, connections with students and and um, giving them that kind of enrichment that we provide through through clubs and. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I think with the course load we have, it, it really makes our jobs uh, untenable. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it has not been getting better. It's been getting worse. And, and I don't want to go on too long because I know Alan and Ezra also have a lot to say. But yeah. I'll, I'll just say, um, uh, well, anyhow, no, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. But um, Patrick did tell me that he's been up since 6.30 and... and- certainly know it's been a busy time and uh <laughs> well i've been actually at work since 6 30 yeah when you're on yeah when you're organizing a picket line we got to yeah. get the office open that that early well i appreciate you being uh 
uh, here on the show. Um, Alan, I want to go to you. Um, what are some of the issues um, that you see in, uh, do you see conditions um, deteriorating in our public schools in the city of Vancouver? Uh, I do. Uh, I've been on the board for, for over 12 years now. And I agree with what, you know, Patrick and Ezra are saying. We're, we're all coming at this issue, uh, proper funding for public education, uh, as, as from a different view, from uh, different stakeholder groups. But I think we're all agreeing that there has been a defunding of education. And, and the term defunding is, uh, in my view, sort of deliberate underfunding of education in the last 12 years. The last 12 years, only one year has there been a budget increase for, for the boards. So, and in the last 10 years, there has been about a $70 million cut in the Vancouver School Board. So we're talking, there's two parts to it. There's the overall education budget, which has it's a smaller piece of the pie in terms of provincial funding than, than the, uh, the other, other parts of um, uh, what the budget is for the province. Teachers, the teachers' agreement um, is, is a part of the whole bigger picture of education. You know, it's important for them to get a fair collective bargained agreement. You know, it, it doesn't help education when the Vancouver teachers uh, or the BC teachers are paid or ranked ninth in terms of pay with other provinces. We're, there's a concern with boards of recruitment and retention uh, of good and important teachers. Specific teachers that we're short of, physics, French, you know, it's, it's a struggle competing with other provinces as well. So that's, you know, the, the teacher's issue now is a part of the whole bigger education. With regards to education, I've seen, and, and don't, get, don't get us all wrong, BC and Canada has, has one of the best public education systems in the world. It's just that to see it erode year after year for the last 12 years is something we all should be concerned about. We used to be the lighthouse of Vancouver of, for ESL students, adult education, special needs. I started as a, when I saw speech and language pathologists reduced from, you know, a, a quite a positive compliment to really address student needs to one where, you know, a, a speech and language pathologist goes into a school for, for, a, few cl- for a few classes a day um, just for the, for the whole week. There's other issues, Ezra brought up um, as well, as, as, you know, children living in poverty, something very different in, in, that we see in Vancouver, and that, that has to be addressed. Um, well, I was going to say, I, I think we can't necessarily look at education uh, without addressing these larger issues of poverty and inaffordability, unaffordability in Vancouver. Exactly, and um, just, just a measure of you know, equity in the system to to ensure that all have access to have a uh, equity of outcome at the, at the end, and and that's what I'm seeing eroded. That there isn't that equity. That you know, with with all the cuts that these the support for teachers and and there is it's, it's more challenging for teachers now than it has ever been. Um, you know, part of the bill 22, try, you know, uh, gets into the issue of special needs, the number of of um, the number of, of uh, students there used to be, let's say we call it a cap of three. Now that's going to be uh, varied and opened. And, you know, I don't want to see us moving in a direction where integration has been simply housing uh, of special needs students in, in, our, in our school system. I've seen 
programs just about 10 years ago where I, I can picture a student would benefit from a program we had, but we don't have any more because of the cuts. Um, you know, it, not only special needs, it, it covers ESL, all a variety of, of needs of students. And it, it, it is concerning. So I look at this as a, a big education uh, a picture, and the teacher's job action is a very important part of that. And we want a, a system where, uh, or, or a district, or a, in the province where you know, uh, teachers are, are a valued part of that equation. And you know, what's happening, I've seen in the last week or so, with regards to the you know, appointment, first legislation, but the false presentation of a, a, a mediator, a mediator that, whose hands are tied is not the direction we should be going. Okay. We need to look at the bigger picture, the longer-term picture of, of, of public education and how we address teachers. I wanna, yeah, if yeah. I could just pick up yeah. from there. Go for it. Um, you pointed out earlier that I'm with a group called Peace and Global Educators, and you know, part of the thing we do is looking at the, at the global context. And, and uh, I agree with everything Alan said, and I, I also want to add um, further to something that that Ezra pointed out, and that is a lot of the students uh, were, were demonstrating, have been demonstrating, uh, because they're concerned about their immediate interests. Uh, and there were also uh, a large number of students who were uh, demonstrating in support of teachers, and I think uh, this is something positive that a lot of teachers have been doing, and that is getting students to uh, empathize with others in need and look at the big picture, and um, we're really grateful that students have come out in support of us and I think that a lot of teachers have been doing a good job about of, uh, of teaching those big picture issues and I'd like to persuade uh, Ezra and, and his uh, fellow students and, and Alan Wong and everyone <laughs> that the, the working conditions that we're fighting for as, uh, as teachers are in the interest of everyone uh, if we are not being treated fairly if we're not given due process as a labor union to represent our members and bargain collectively, uh, then that's going to affect everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I, do, I do believe uh, in that, that sort of, I guess it's an ADM, uh, high tide rises all boats. And one thing, um, and, and maybe that, global perspective and, and that critical analysis that we encourage students to uh, engage in is, is what the government doesn't like about us. Maybe they find that dangerous. I don't know, but they, they certainly don't seem to like us. last thing I want to say yeah. about that is this is about more than education. I think this dispute is really about um, destroying the labor movement. And um, we've seen that this provincial government does not um, respect collective bargaining. It's uh, strips to our contract were ruled unconstitutional, and it looks to me like they, uh, it, they just don't care, and they're going to go back and try the same thing over and over again. Well, and I would say this is not just this provincial government. It's, we can look to the federal government. We can look to other governments and other provinces, and I mean, we can look to the U.S. <laughs> Neoliberalism is not just here in B.C. Apparently not. <laughs> 
Ezra, do you want to jump in on anything? We, I just wanted to say that uh, Alan Wong has a meeting to run off to um, around 5.30, so I want to um, uh, get him to that in time. But I did, uh, if, if Ezra and uh, if Patrick um, and Ezra are able to stay on the line, if you guys um, are able to chat a bit longer, I'd love that. Um, yep. And uh, um, But I wanted to give uh, Alan a last word in here before he has to uh, head to his meeting. Well, the, the hopes is that, you know, there is an independent mediator. It looks like that should be the direction rather than going down this down this direction um, of forcing legislation. Uh, you know, I, I think the, mediate, the mediation that uh, George Abbott has uh, suggested is, is, it just, you know, is another, another punch to the stomach for te- of teachers. Uh, it doesn't really. It, it's not a real mediator when you when you have them tied to net zero and, and everything um, written down of how how it should come out at the end of the day. I just wanted to uh, reiterate what Patrick has stated as well. The, his last points. It, this is this is uh, part of um, trying to reduce or do away with the collective agreement process. Um, I think the provincial government and the, uh, the Minister of Education did what it had to do in order to uh, look like it was going through the process, but it seemed like in the very beginning uh, that they, it, was, it was legislation that they were, were, were looking at. So, you know, there's still an opportunity to, to go in the direction of trying to negotiate or at least um, independent mediator. And I'd like to thank Ezra and Patrick for their comments because I agree with everything they said today. Well, I want to thank you. Thanks. (laughs) I want to thank you all. Uh, Thank you, Alan, for taking the time um, and uh, have a wonderful meeting. Um, We're going to take a quick break. Uh, This is CITR 101.9 FM. This is The City, a show dedicated to uh, critical discussions of urban issues. Um, We're going to be back very shortly to continue our discussion on education. Stay with us. CITR is your campus and community radio station rocking out from room 233 in the sub from UBC's Point Grey campus. And this year, for 24 straight hours, starting midnight Monday, March 12th, students will be claiming the airwaves as their own. It's 24 hours of student power, and it's only on CITR 101.9 FM. Summer, you get an A-plus and 50 gold stars! Boom. And we're back on the city CITR 101.9 FM streaming at CITR.ca and on Shaw Cable 88.5. You can also find the show as a podcast um, posted shortly after um, on the the website for the show, thecityfm.wordpress.com. You can also find a link off of CITR's website as well, CITR.ca. And I want to thank um, I want to thank Alan uh, for being with us. Alan Wong, uh, Cope Vancouver, he's a Vancouver School Board trustee for the Coalition of Progressive Electors. And uh, I still have um, Ezra Manson on the line, a student uh, at Van Tech Secondary School, as well as Patrick Parks um, from the Burnaby Teachers Association. So I wanted to continue this discussion, and I want to go to Ezra. Um, if we think. Um, somewhat utopian about what what we want our schools to look like and how how our schools um play into basically fostering a vibrant city um what what would we see uh i think less uh less grading well a lot less um 
yeah, they, 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 placed, they place a lot of importance on assessment, and I think that stresses a lot of kids out. I, I think it's, it's uh, necessary to an extent, but I think education goes much further than that. I think it, assessment sort of stifles creativity, and uh, there's a lot more opportunity to incorporate the students into the community and, uh, and whatnot if, if we're, we're able to be creative with that. Uh, with how we do our projects and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. For example, like, would it be, uh, the opportunity instead of writing a paper, um, some type of exam to do a community service learning project or what, what does that look like? Well, this summer I, I, uh, I went up to, I went on to Vancouver Island and I, I, I built a garden, um, with some friends and I, I've, I've sort of used that experience a lot to for my school classes. I've, I've reflected on it, and I've, I've written about it, and I talked about the challenges and all that. And so I, I definitely think that assessment is, is, is good in that sense, but uh, I think sort of making action out of it is, is, is also uh, necessary. And Patrick, to you, uh, same question. What, uh, what ideally would our schools look like if um, we were to to dream big yeah well you know i find that question a little bit hard to (laughs) answer because um there's so much to talk about (laughs) but i think in essence one thing would be to make them uh less prison-like and i'm i'm referring to uh michelle foucault's contention that schools are an extension of the prison and police system Mm -hmm. I, i don't think they in fact are operated that way uh, but but in some in some respect you you can see how uh, that connection can be made and I think that's something that's in the in the mind of of all um, progressive educators is how we can make it less that way mm-hmm. and there are a lot of answers I I um, I think the stu- as um, Ezra has pointed out uh, grading creates a lot of pressure on students. And <clears throat> I, I'm not sure if getting rid of grading is the answer, but I, I do believe that we need to think of ways to engage students so that uh, it's the acquisition of knowledge and uh, critical exploration of topics and creativity are being engaged and not just jumping through hoops and trying to get an A right. as a motivation to learn. Well, I look at programs like um, Trek, for example, or some of these, or even the mini school program in the Vancouver uh, School Board. Um, and I must admit, I don't know what the more alternative programs are like in in Burnaby. But is this an attempt to to create um, a learning process and engage engage uh, not only students in education but the wider community? And is is this ultimately? Um, the way to address that, I'm curious, is, is, that, is it about funding? Is it about funding these programs, or is it about really thinking uh, about completely revolutionizing um, our high schools and our elementary schools, and um, even beyond that, the, the academic institutions, higher education? Ultimately, it is on some level about funding, because in order to do... Um, the kind of creative work that teachers want to do, 
they need to, to have um, the resources to do them, and the main resource we need is time. When you are teaching, as some teachers are, uh, multiple courses at the same time with maybe 200 students you're teaching at the high school level, and in some and uh, teaching courses where there's a, a heavy workload in terms of marking, for example, English, or uh, <clears throat> say you're teaching PE and, and there's a high requirement to be uh, sponsoring teams outside of the regular hours, leaves little, very little time to actually organize and, and research and think about <clears throat> you know, where you want your, your classes to be going. So that's, that's the main issue. As far as um, uh, you know, engage, engaging students in the community and, and seeing schools as a part of the community, I think uh, we can do a lot more there. And I think that uh, something that, that sort of prevents teachers from doing that is, is fear. We actually have a lot of, of uh, freedom in our classes. But um, uh, I'm afraid that if our government gets its way and doesn't respect collective bargaining and professional autonomy of teachers, that there's going to be a lot more fear in the classroom and a lot more reluctance to experiment and to challenge students and, and to expose students to ideas that might be controversial. <laughs> and I think that in a democratic society, you need to, in the education system, expose students to uh, a lot of ideas and, and um, promote open discussion and debate. And if teachers are afraid to do that, if they think that they're um, going to be penalized for doing that, then it's not going to happen. there any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I actually did check in grade 10. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it was fabulous. I'd, I'd actually, I'd call it a... a Utopian uh, <laughs> education, okay. Uh, except for half the year where <laughs> we You're didn't still get to go school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that 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 I think Trek should actually be a model um, mm. for uh, what we want to see the future uh, public education system look like in in uh, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, maybe outdoor education isn't for everyone, but they they have so much uh, flexibility with with what they can do with the students and. You, you develop friendships with the teachers, and it it's, it's, creates a learning environment where kids want to learn. Um, mm. You're excited to go to school every day, and uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, I want to uh, finish off here by um, asking you uh, both to offer up um, perhaps a prediction, uh, if you feel up to it, about what we're likely to see in the next coming weeks or, or even months. Um in particular, in uh, in the context of the current labor action, um, and then offer um, something that is inspiring um, that that you find in your own experience um, that may lead us to believe that some of this can be realized. So, uh, Patrick, start with you. Well, I don't know what to predict in the next week. I am really baffled, hmm. um, and I'm also very worried uh, by what's being been proposed in, in this Bill 22, especially as a, a union official, because uh, apparently if, if it's passed and, and our members vote to do an illegal walkout, they're planning to fine right. illegal, uh, sorry, uh, union officials $2,500 a day. Anyhow, so I don't, I'm not very 
<laughs> I'm actually very as, as well as the teachers individually. Is that that's correct, right? Uh, I think it's four hundred and seventy-five dollars a day for teachers individually. For union leaders, it, it'll be uh, twenty-five hundred dollars a day. Okay. Um, and uh, as for something hopeful and and inspiring, I think the most inspiring thing that has happened in the last little while has been uh, the student uh, the students. Uh, showing their autonomy and coming out and demonstrating. And, uh, you know, it really impressed a lot of their teachers. And, uh, you know, I know people who were practically moved to tears. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really hopeful sign that students are, uh, that more students are starting to see things in a more global sense and are understanding that, in or- that participation in a democracy has to be active and they're coming out and they're taking an interest in the world. And I'd like to congratulate uh, Ezra and all the students who organized and participated in the demonstration uh, last Friday. I think that took a lot of guts, and uh, I'm very impressed. Okay, and Ezra, uh, to you, uh, predictions, or uh, if you feel like you have a sense of what's to come, and then additionally, um, what, what gives you hope or... What, what you see is inspiring and may give us a sense that some of this can be realized. Well, I don't have any immediate predictions. Um, and I don't know a whole lot of the, uh, the little stuff that's been going on between the BCTF and the, the government negotiations. But what I have seen is, is a wave of conscien- consciousness sort of uh, take over Van Tech in the last week or so. The students that are really started demonstrating that they really care about uh, the future education system, even though they've sort of been through it for the last 13 years and, and it won't really be benefiting, that benefiting them at all. They, I've seen them working towards uh, an education system for future generations, and I, I think that's really, really important. And I, I think that's what uh, the BCTF and the government need to need to do as well. So they need to plan long-term, uh, sort of like the students at Vantech have been doing um, for a, yeah, a stronger education system in the future. Okay, well, I want to thank you both so much uh, for joining in on this discussion, and I uh, wish you both the best um, as we move forward. And uh, just w- before we leave it, I wanted to ask you if either of you have any final thoughts that you wanted to uh, put in. Uh, well, I'd just like to thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be on your show and uh, good work. I, I, I've been listening and I, I enjoy what you're. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the program, cramming, pro, sorry, programming not only on your show but on CITR. I, uh, it's the station I listen to most. Cool. Well, glad to hear that, and uh, we're, we're trying to do our best. So it's always wonderful to hear that. Again, thank you so much, uh, both of you, um, Ezra Manson, uh, student at Van Tech and uh, Patrick Parks, um, teacher with the BC, the Burnaby Teachers Association, and I want to also thank Alan Wong uh, for joining uh, the discussion earlier. This is CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, and we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to hear a track from uh, Aunts and Uncles, and uh, then we're going to be back with some coverage of uh, this Saturday's robocalling protest 
um, from Victory Square. So, and uh, we're looking at the city as a site of protest and in some of this, a way to think about uh, the role of cities um, in all of this, whether it's in education or whether it's um, in elections and, and the very fundamental uh, right that we have, the right to vote, um, the city is a site of protest. And we're going to be uh, hearing a clip uh, very shortly. Uh, in the meantime, this is Anson Uncles with the track November. This is CITR 101.9 FM. <laughs> back to the city on CITR 101.9 FM. And uh, we're going to go uh, right now uh, as we wrap up the uh, portion of the show on education. Um, this was from the Vancouver Art Gallery, the student organized protest. And you're going to hear uh, um, some thoughts um, offered up by um, some students uh, that I had the chance of talking with at the uh, rally and protest. So uh, 
Have a listen to this. So can I first ask, uh, wh- why are you guys out here today? To protest against the laws that are being put through uh, so that teachers can't strike and because teachers aren't getting the rights they need and the pay raises they need. And why are you here today? Uh, because of the teachers' budget cuts and uh, we just came here to protest because our, our education matters. And what school are you guys from? John Oliver Secondary. Okay. And uh, do you guys have a particular opinion about this provincial government? As, as a whole? Yeah, just generally. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I prefer the NDP over the Liberals, <laughs> but that's, I don't know. That's my opinion. Do you see this as something that's inherently political, or is this something that everyone, no matter what political affiliation you have, should be out here? I think everyone should be out here. Yeah. Are you are you like are you surprised to see this many people, or do you think you were expecting more? I was kind of expecting more, hoping that more would show up. How about you? Uh, I was expecting a bit more, but uh, I mean, this is pretty good. Cool. Okay. Thanks. What's your first name? My name is Caitlin. Okay, Caitlin. And uh, why are you out here today? Um, I'm out here because I'm concerned about education and also my friends were organizers of this event and I'm really excited to that, um, of the fact that youth have a voice now and that we're hopefully being heard by the government, by just regular people on the street. Hopefully we can send a strong message. And uh, what school are you from? I'm from Windermere Secondary. Okay, right on. So the, the impetus came from Windermere. And uh, I guess is that right? so. Yeah, I guess so. It started out as um, a couple of students that I knew. They, they kind of had a bad day because um, we were hearing a lot of things about education and how it was getting cut. And some of their programs were getting cut, so they took that really to heart. And they said... Um, they were talking about the teacher strike as well, and then one of, th- one of them had the idea of wouldn't a student walkout be m- way more effective? And then it kind of just started out as a little idea, and they said, oh, and they were asking people, oh, if we made a student walkout, would you go? And people said, oh, maybe. So they made it anyway, and then they didn't realize that they would get like 15,000 people hitting it up. So, What do you think about the turnout here today? I'm, it's beyond my expectations. I was really scared that it would only be a couple of people, but at my own school, when we walked out, it was at least 100, at least. And then when we came here, um, although the group has 15,000, or I think it was 17,000 last I checked, we were only, uh, they were only expecting like maybe like 1,000, just to keep it realistic, but I think we reached that earlier on, yeah. So I have to ask, what's in the water at Windermere? There's all this cool stuff going on at Windermere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you know, you can always come find out. There's, there's no real definition of it, but it's just passion. And uh, where where do we go from here? What's the plan? Um, they actually had a lot of plans for today. I don't know if they're still going to go through with it, but they were planning on marching on Car- Christy Clark's office and phone calling and also sending letters to the MLAs and everything. Christy Clark's office in West Point Gray. I think so. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, t- do you know about other stuff that's going on in other cities across BC? Um, I know a lot of other um, cities already had walkouts this past week, and I know Vancouver Island had a walkout as well. 
I'm not sure about further out in the province, but I know like Kelowna and I think maybe Abbotsford had one, but Kelowna for sure had a walkout. Okay, and uh, I'll, I'll let you go in a second, but uh, what's the, what's the, I guess, what's the symbolic nature of coming to the art gallery? Why not just do this outside of Windermere or in a, not necessarily this location? Is there a significance to this? Uh, yeah, there was actually a lot of concern that I was I was I heard about that why did we choose the art gallery and I think they addressed that concern in the group maybe the Facebook group online but they said that it was really symbolic here because a lot of other events have happened here and a lot of change like the Occupy movement obviously that's, that's happened here and I think that's part of it that. Cool. well thank you so much yeah thank you March 8th is International Women's Day, observed since the early 20th century to celebrate women's solidarity in the fight for equal economic, social, and political rights. Here at CITR, we are celebrating all things female with a 24-hour marathon dedicated to women's issues and, of course, women in music. Tune in March 8th for your local and independent source for International Women's Day programming. Rosie, 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 the Riveter. UBC Bookstore is having a student appreciation sale March 14th. Their way of saying thanks for all your support this past academic year. There will be snacks, DJs, and karaoke. Oh yeah, and discounts too. 25% off giftware, clothing, and stationery. 10% off computer accessories. And 20% off all general books. Visit the main store from 9.30am to 6pm or the solder store from 10 to 5. UBC Bookstore, where your purchases support your UBC campus. Any UBC student knows that the year begins optimistically. In your arms but by the end of it, you're ready for a little. <laughs> Any smart UBC student will therefore know that it's best to get your tickets early to the annual AMS Block Party. Featuring Mother Mother, Mastercraft, DJ Headspin, The Boom Booms, and more, Thursday, April 5th on the McKinnis Field, your AMS brings you the fifth year of music, partying, and hopefully some sunshine. Early bird tickets available at the Outpost until March 9th, and general tickets available thereafter. For more info, search for the AMS Block Party on Facebook. The fifth annual AMS Block Party is proudly sponsored by CITR. And you're back listening to The City on CITR 101.9 FM, thecityfm.wordpress.com. Find us on Twitter, The City on CITR, um, as well as Facebook. Um, you can email the show at thecity.citr at gmail.com, and i uh, love to hear your feedback. Um, quickly, we're unfortunately not going to be able to hear the full um, uh, piece um, uh, addressed by Sean Devlin, a local comedian, um, and if uh, you're offended by uh, certain language, I would suggest you turn your dial down for the next 10 seconds. Uh, okay, he uh, was one of the founders of shitharperdid.com, uh, very popular during the election, and this is at the robocall protest um, at Victory Square from this past Saturday, um, talking about some of the issues surrounding this, um, and uh, let's have a listen. It's an excellent thing to see. Uh, how many of you remember a website during the election called uh, shitharperdid.com? Okay. Well, I have good news for you, twofold. One, uh, he keeps doing shit, so the, the website is live again, and uh, there's
There's new videos coming out uh, this week, and they're doing amazing work on the robocalls. And we also have uh, the founder of ShitHarperDid.com here to address you today. Please welcome Sean Devlin, everyone. My good friend, Sean Devlin. Um, I'm not a very loud speaker. Is this, is this going to be loud enough? Okay, louder. Okay. Um, Generally speaking, I want to talk about math problems. Uh, I think Canada has some serious math problems. Um, I want to start with the way this Prime Minister was elected. Uh, he got his majority with less than 40% of the vote, right? That's 4 out of 10, okay? 4 out of 10, mathematically speaking, is not the majority of numbers between 1 and 10. That's, that's simple math. Coincidentally, 4 out of 10 is a failing grade on a math test. Furthermore, 4 out of 10 is a losing, and I'll repeat losing, road trip for a hockey team. And, and finally, 4 out of 10 is literally not enough dentists to credibly recommend you a tube of toothpaste. So, if 4 out of 10 isn't good enough for toothpaste, should it be good enough to run our country? Right. So that's before we knew about the robocalls. We already knew it was a fake majority. Now we know it's a stolen fake majority, right? And, and honestly, who steals a fake? Like a really incompetent art thief. It's pathetic. And what I also find pathetic is some of the responses that have come out, okay? So there's some conservatives in the media saying, well, what impact did these calls really have? That's not the point. Do you remember a guy named Ben Johnson? Some of you might be too young to know this man. He was an Olympic athlete who in 1988 won Canada a gold medal in the 100 meter dash, right? After it happened, they did a drug test and found out he was on steroids. Now, when that came out, Ben Johnson didn't get to call a press conference and say, okay, I mean, guys, really, how much of the muscle mass in these legs is a result of the steroids that I took? I mean, do we really know what impact these steroids had on my physical ability? No, they took his gold medal away because he cheated. And that was Sean Devlin at the robocalling protest uh, on Saturday at Victory Square, um, organized by a number of groups featuring a number of speakers, including MP Livy Davies, um, uh, Deputy Green Party leader Adrian Carr and city councillor, um, as well as uh, Lead Now uh, Executive Director uh, Jamie Bigar. So uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to play the whole clip. We are running out of time, um, but that clip can be found online, and I'll post a link to that. Um, on the website, thecityfm.wordpress.com. I want to thank you for listening. Um, again, your comments and feedback um, is always welcome. Thecity.citr uh, at gmail.com or on the website, thecityfm.wordpress or on Twitter, uh, thecityoncitr. And uh, I'm going to close out the show. Um, but I want to say the show is on every Tuesday at 5 p.m., so check it out. Um, then the podcast will be made available shortly 
on the website um, as well, as well as off CITR's website, citr.ca. Thank you so much for listening, and I want to thank my guests for listening as well, and we'll see you next Tuesday.